Hi, this is Emil Menashe. I'm the composer for Oscar-nominated short documentary Incident in New Baghdad and the editorial director of Intune Partners and author of Your Sound on Stage. And I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. It is that time once again. It's time for another edition of On Screen and Beyond, the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with someone from the TV, movie, or music industry. I'm your host, Brian Zemarak. This is episode 202 of On Screen and Beyond. And this week on On Screen and Beyond, our guest, uh, in honor of Oscar Week... And in the past uh, couple of weeks, we've had some Oscar nominees from the past and some Oscar winners from the past. This week, we have the composer from an Oscar-nominated documentary short from this year, 2012. Emile Menage is the composer of the music for this short uh, documentary. And uh, a lot of times people don't get a chance to see documentary shorts that are nominated for Oscars. But if you ever get a chance, be sure to check this one out. And uh, the music from Emile Menage is in there, and he is going to be our guest this week on On Screen and Beyond. So he's going to talk about his films, his books, and his music, and all that stuff. And it's coming up in just a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. Some fascinating stuff for you. And it is time to find out what's coming away as far as remakes. It's next. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness, well, a film called The Darkness, uh, loosely based on the book Turn of the Screw, is about to be made, and it's about an American student looking for a group of children in a haunted manner. And look for John Stratham and Brian De Palmer as they're working on a remake of Heat, which was originally done and starred Burt Reynolds. And in the rumor mill, it looks like, uh, you know, things are going uh, not too well for the remake of Army of the Dead. In fact, it may be dead. The high cost is labeled for the cause of the death of the film. But, uh, you know, you never know. It could come back. It's, uh, you know, one of those type of movies. So, anyways, that's it for Remake Madness coming up next on On Screen to Be On. Upcoming movies right here. Upcoming movies, well, Robert Redford will star in All is Lost, and it's about a guy set adrift at sea and his efforts to survive. Now, that that has a vague, similar sound to um, the Tom Hanks film Castaway, but uh, we'll see how that one does. It's got Robert Redford in it, so, you know, it should do good. And uh, the, uh, let's see, a while back we mentioned a new Sylvester Stallone film about him playing a designer of prisons and falsely accused and then put in jail into a prison that he designed in his attempt to escape. And it's now called The Tomb, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is also going to share the screen with him. And Naomi Watts will star in Caught in Flight as Princess Diana. The film will document Diana's relationships before her death. That's it for upcoming movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a peek at Sequel City. It's sequel time right here on On Screen and Beyond. (laughs) 
Sequel City. Well, the sequel of The Karate Kid is moving along slowly. A new writer has been brought on board to try to clean things up. We'll see what happens with that one. And the Wolverine film with Hugh Jackman in uh, the lead, of course, once again, is looking for a 2012 release date. And 2001's Wet Hot American Summer is headed to a sequel, according to its writer. And uh, the original was about a summer camp outing. And it starred uh, David Hyde Pierce, Paul Rudd, Bradley Cooper, Elizabeth Banks, and Molly Shannon. Now, that's quite a cast. Whether they could get all those people back, we'll see if they can. That is it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, TV on DVD. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TV on DVD, well, plans are in the works to release In Search Of on DVD. Now, that was a show that was uh, looked into the supernatural and that sort of stuff, and it's narrated by Leonard Nimoy. And no date as of yet has been given for that, but we'll keep you informed on that one. And Neverland Sci-Fi's uh, miniseries is coming to DVD and Blu-ray on March 13th. And the complete series of Cimarron City rides into DVD on March 6th. That is it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond... Movies on DVD. Movies on DVD. Well, the release date of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo comes to DVD and Blu-ray on March 20th. And We Bought a Zoo hits stores on April 3rd with Matt Damon. And uh, Journey to Mysterious Island with Dwayne Johnson lands in stores in July. That is it for Movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, honoring... The week of Oscars, all right? We've had many guests in the past couple of weeks that have won Oscars, nominated for Oscars. This week, we have the composer from a documentary short that has been nominated for an Oscar this year. And the film is called Incident in New Baghdad. And the composer of the music is Emile Menashe. Now, Emile has got some fascinating stuff to talk to us about. He's going to talk about composing his books. Uh, he's an editor. And it's all coming up next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Today on On Screen and Beyond, my guest is a composer, musician, and author who composed the music for the Oscar-nominated documentary short, Incident in New Baghdad. His latest book is Your Sound on Stage. It's Emile Menashe. Emile, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thanks very much. It's great to be on. Emile, this must be a very exciting time for you. You're involved with a Oscar-nominated documentary short that you composed the music for. That, that really must be quite a thrill for you. Well, it is very exciting. Um, I'm actually even more excited for James Spione, who made the film, because Jim really worked very hard to create this 
film pretty much out of nothing and uh you know did it most of it at his own expense especially early on and uh and then got a win at Tribeca and then was able to raise enough money to get a showing in LA that uh, led to the nomination so I'm very happy for Jim and I'm very proud to be part of the project now, as far as the music part of it, can you run us through how something like that goes about? Did they approach you, or did they know you? And also, do you watch the film when you're composing this, or how does that all come about? Well, I've actually worked with Jim uh, for years on other projects. We've done a couple of feature documentaries together, and over the years we developed uh, a working process. So what he does is we'll come in with a rough cut and we'll look at it together. Um, this film, I think, was probably double in length when we first started looking at it. And he would talk about the sort of key elements that he'd want to include in the film. So in this case, we wanted to have music that really set the scene for Iraq on the segments that take place there some music that works with this montage of American media, this sort of kind of TV-sounding music, and then some underscore that would work with the scenes shot from the helicopter. So we, you know, he would show me stuff, and then I would just write cues and demos of bits of pieces and send them to him, and he'd kind of use them as temp music and then send them back. So really early on, I was looking at picture but I wasn't scoring to picture to hit points in the picture and then as the project moved along and we got closer and his edit got finer um, we found which pieces we ended up liking and uh, and he started to refine his edit and some of the cut to picture stuff he did during his music edit because he is very good at taking different pieces of music I write and putting them together and then some stuff I wrote uh, directly for picture now, is it difficult when you're writing for a short that you say you're involved early on, so you, you make this piece that undoubtedly is going to have to be cut because of the film is going to be sh shortened? Is it difficult? Do you sometimes say, oh, I wish that part had been left in? You know, not really for a couple of reasons. First of all, the film is 22 minutes, so it's about the same length as a um, half-hour commercial television episode. Mm -hmm. So um, there's actually a lot of music in there. I think what's more difficult is trying to write something that conveys, especially early on when the director is kind of vague about stuff and he, he has this general sense of what he wants and write stuff like that and then get kind of attached to it and realize that it's not working. Or the opposite, you know, like uh, rewrite cues and then end up using, you know, we, we ended up doing this using some of the early demo cues um, had a second life at the very end, whereas, you know, said, okay, well, that one's not quite right. Let's replace it. Let's replace it. We tried a bunch of different things and ended up going back to the original. So it's not a bad thing. It's just it's sort of an interesting part of the process. Yeah. You, you invariably end up with, uh, you know, at least half of the music you write kind of sitting um, on the cutting room floor wow. or the cutting room part of your hard disk or whatever. Right, yeah. <laughs> Now, you're a very accomplished musician. I've heard some of your, your albums. And is guitar your main instrument that you, that you play? Yeah, guitar is the instrument that I play well, uh, and I play bass pretty well. Um, and I play guitar in a lot of different styles and settings. So I'll play um, 
acoustic guitar, uh, you know, in a traditional way, but for a lot of these scores, I like to use it in some other ways, do odd tunings or, um, you know, even I've used it for percussions, like whatever I can get out of it, I do. And then I play, um, I play keyboards okay, and then I also play a little bit of violin, mandolin, and stuff like that. Wow, geez, you're really <laughs> all around. Yeah, well, the, if you heard the violin part, you, you'd know why I play more guitar. <laughs> it's just a little guitar, that's all, <laughs> with, yeah. a, with a bow. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I know, yeah, it's easy to so say. close together, that's the problem. <laughs> with the nomination, how did you hear about that when you well, first heard? Well, actually what happened was the film was shortlisted, which is, um, I think there were eight films shortlisted, and Jim... Um, you know, sent a note saying it was shortlisted. So we knew the day that it would be nominated or not nominated, and we were just kind of waiting to hear. And then, you know, the, it was like the official announcement. We all found out at the same time. We're kind of, I was Facebook IMing him saying, what happened? What happened? He says, we got it. And that was it. And then ever since then, you know, his life has been uh, a whirlwind. So, um, you know, it's been very exciting. Mm. for him and the film is, has got um, you know it's it's controversial because of the stance of its subject Ethan McCord so there's been um, you know there's been a lot of drama around it uh, just not just of the film itself but some people's reactions to Ethan's position and it's been pretty intense mm -hmm. so it's been really an interesting experience for me as a musician to see this thing and you know to hear the music and um, see how it works, but also because I'm also a journalist, I find it interesting from that standpoint too. Like how the story was told, and the film is completely in, in uh, other than the clips of the uh, archived news reports. The film is told entirely in Ethan's voice. It's not, you know, there's no narrator. Jim doesn't use anything uh, to kind of push the story in any direction other than what Ethan had to say. So. It's it's a very interesting exercise in uh, understanding how story, picture, and you know to to a lesser degree sound all impact the depth of that story. Mm, yeah. Now, is that one of the awards that they will give out at the actual on that date uh, at you know at the presentation on TV or? I actually don't know that. I think it's given that day, but I don't know that it's going to be on the big telecast. Yeah, because I, I know there's some that are and some that aren't. Yeah, my, my guess is it probably isn't, but I don't. I really don't know the answer. Yeah, yeah. So are you going? I am go I'm, I'm going to be going for the week because there's a documentary event on the 22nd. So I want to go to that and uh, maybe try to get some meetings while I'm out there. But um, I'm also going to be uh, our magazine's ship the printer deadline is that same week, so ah. <laughs> he's sitting in a hotel room trying to finish editing the magazine while I'm out there. Mm -hmm. Now, have you always been uh, a musician when you were young? Uh, you know, growing up, did you start playing at a very young age? Well, I started playing the viola when I was in fourth grade, uh, third grade, sorry, and then when I I played it really through eighth grade. Uh, and I got pretty good. And then what, my high school didn't have a music program, so that was one thing. And then I started playing the guitar between my freshman and sophomore year of high school. Or actually, in my freshman year of high school. And the guitar 
just really took over for me. So, and then I just, I didn't study after that. I just played in bands and, you know, did the CBGB New York thing when I was in college. And mm-hmm. um, I started scoring films when I was in my late 20s, doing uh, some educationals and some shorts, and uh, did a feature called Parallel Sons. And um, it was, you know, I always liked, I was a screenwriting major at NYU, so I always liked film, and I was always interested in writing, and I sort of ended up in music journalism just kind of to pay the bills, and that career took off. So, excuse me, those two things really went together for me, and and that's why documentaries are particularly interesting for me, because I, you know, I, I write and, um, you know, put out a magazine all the time, and right do a lot of that kind of stuff as well as uh, doing the music, and they kind of link together. Mm. Was it difficult to play the music in a Middle East sound when you were composing it? Not really. Well, see, part of it is my dad is actually from Cairo, so I listened to a lot of that stuff growing up. He's never gone back since he left in the 50s, but he, um, you know, he would occasionally, actually when my grandmother visited, he would out some of that music and um, so some of those things are very natural to me and then um, you know I listened to a lot of music while I was working on the score and researched some of the sounds and, and things like that so the the idea was not to really do sort of stock Middle Eastern music either sort of I mean I, if I listen to the there's this section with this guitar part and I listen to it and I think well it's a little bit Spanish sounding but of course that has a Middle Eastern influence Mm -hmm. in it and then um, just you know it's like trying to convey the scene without it being sort of movie music here we are at the Casbah kind of thing you know (laughs) just to kind of underscore certain emotional points without overselling them Mm mm-hmm would you consider this one of your most challenging compositions? Um, you know, I don't think it was in the in the sense of um, like technical difficulty or anything. I, and, and I, I would turn that around and say it was really the, probably the most interesting because of the range of stuff I ended up doing with it. You know, mm-hmm. and just um, also because Jim lives near me, so. At the very end, we were working on the music edit together, and I was I was able to see how he was using the pieces and um, see how the parts fit together. And we made some music. You know, he would come to my studio with his laptop that he was editing the film on, and we we could make changes to the music. You know, I was like sitting there putting stuff on a zip, uh, not a zip drive, but a thumb drive for him, mm-hmm. and he yeah. was loading them in, and we were looking at it. So in that sense, it was really fun. Um, the hardest part of it really was just finding the, especially early on in the project, finding the time to do it because of our various schedules. And then, you know, once he got accepted into Tribeca, you know, it's like once we had deadlines, it, it became really mm-hmm. intense to get final cut, you know, make a final cut. It's like he had a good cut, but that final cut, <laughs> you know how it is. It's like the last 10% of the work takes, you know, a lot more time than the first 90 mm-hmm. So, um, is there ever a final cut? You know, the, the yeah. director's always thinking, "Okay, I, I can do this, and it'll change it." <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, 
so that was that. And then the other the other thing, um, I don't know how technical you want to get, but I used uh, Ableton Live a lot on this project, and I always thought of Live as something you'd use for dance loops and stuff like that, and it's good for that. But it turns out that it's actually really good for composing uh, acoustic stuff quickly. Like if you don't want to think too much about what you're doing and just get an idea down, then get the next idea down, the next one, just have them accessible. And then from those initial clips, you can edit something together or redo it or, you know, learn it, which a lot of times is what I would end up doing, like play something off the top of my head and then figure out what I did and then do it better or whatever. Yeah. Now, now, you started mentioning some software and things like that. Is that the program you use most? I'm limited to basically GarageBand and a little bit of Sibelius maybe. But mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it, but is that the, the program that you use the most? Well, I use uh, Logic, Apple's Logic mm-hmm. as well. and I use that for about half of the score on this, and I use that a lot for other projects. And I use Pro Tools as well, and I use that for uh, mostly for other kinds of music than this stuff, like if I'm doing a rock project. Um, but I've been using live more and more because it's quick. And uh, I mean, I would write, and I'm sitting at my desk here with a laptop, and if I have an idea, live actually boots faster even than GarageBand. Really? So, wow. yeah, it's, it really opens quickly, and it's easy to configure, so, you know, you can get an idea down really fast with it. And mm. that's... That, that's kind of what happened. It just was by default, you know, it was working. So I used it and then discovered that it was really a good tool for this kind of work. Mm-hmm. You know, I probably would have thought to myself that I'd end up, you know, capturing a couple of things in it and then exporting them to Logic, but I didn't do that. Yeah. It just amazes me how even just 20 years ago, you never would be able to do things as fast because, you know, like you say, the director comes up to you and says, well, let's change this. Well, in that case, they would go to the studio. They'd probably have to do it again and then come back. And Nowadays, you can do that in in minutes. Yeah. No, it, it really is powerful. Uh, you know, the, the only thing that I would caution about with that is, and, and I mean, I've, I've had a career of writing about software and right, reviewing yeah. it and championing it, but that sometimes you can forget what the real mission is, which is to write a good part and play it well. And, you know, it's like you have, when you have that feeling like, I really need to get this take, and it becomes a performance, you end up a lot of times with music that uh, speaks to the listener in a different way than if you're, you know, going, all right, I can do this 50 times, and you just kind of knock them out. So finding the balance between those two things and, Getting a focused performance when I'm recording myself using a computer is probably that's probably the biggest challenge actually. Yeah. You know, like I get something that sounds good, but it's a little mo- emotionally detached, and then you have to kind of have to forget that you're on the computer and right. put now yourself is, in the scene. You know. Yeah. Do you use your piano and a guitar input to get the music on there, or is everything composed on the keyboard? With the you know all the fancy sounds that you can add and change in in, in the software. Yeah, I do. I do less and less of the MIDI keyboard composing actually mm-hmm. over the years because um, I, I used it f- more for beds for this, and then I also ended up using it for this closing theme, where which has like a drum machine and this synthesizer that sounds kind of like a, a reed from 
mid-Asia, mm-hmm. not yeah. really from Iraq. But for most of it, I use guitar and I use mics or, uh, you know, I used everything for, you know, with a, a Mac, it's so easy to plug different interfaces into it. So I, right. I have this little Zoom handheld recorder that I ended up, you know, if I had an idea, I used that. I was sitting in the bedroom, just kind of plugged that in and recorded into it. And the tracks came out well enough to keep hmm. from that. And then if I'm in my main studio, I'll use mics and mic preamps and a slightly better interface and record it. So when I recorded the flute, I did that in a more traditional fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you mentioned a Zoom. I, that's, I have one of those, too. I use that all the time for recording yeah. interviews. <laughs> yeah, they're very good. Oh, yeah. They're very good. Yeah, yeah. For fairly inexpensive and... And very handy to have, that's for sure. Yeah. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Now, as far as your books, you, you've written uh, quite a few books, in fact, but you have your new book out, uh, Your Sound on Stage. And that one is, I was looking that over, and it, it's a very handy piece to have for someone who's either starting out or somebody who's actually been doing it for a while and wants to fine-tune things. Well, thanks thanks for mentioning that, actually, because that I'm, I'm especially proud of that book because it's um, one of two books that we at Intune Partners use to launch our new book division. So Intune, the magazine I edit, is a music magazine for uh, middle and high school students. Mm-hmm. And we write everything from the point of view of how people either make music or work in the music business in a business capacity or make equipment or use equipment. So every story, even artist profiles, have some kind of lesson to them. And one of the things that I had to learn from doing this job for, um, we're just finishing our ninth volume, our ninth year of doing it, um, is that a lot of the stuff that people who know how to do music take for granted, people who don't know how to use equipment, and even people who are good musicians who don't know how to use equipment don't understand. So you're talking, you're kind of like putting this barrier between knowledge or your knowledge and someone else's ability to understand by using jargon or whatever. So what I wanted to do with this book is make something that kids especially, but also adults who might not have experience mm-hmm. can look at and not feel like they're being they're a ignorant because they don't know some jargony term that they've never had an opportunity to learn before or b um you know are confused because you're skipping too many steps to get to the end you know it's like this kind of background of knowledge or c are bored because it's too technical so that was the goal yeah. for that and that book we published under the intune books um through Hal Leonard imprint, and we also published a book uh, at the same time by a college professor named David Fish about uh, the history of jazz called Jazz Then and Now. And we've got uh, another two books coming out this summer and then a a fall schedule of uh, four. So we're we're ramping that thing up pretty well. Wow, that's great, yeah. Because when I looked at the book, I was was looking it over, and 
like you say, students, uh, high school students, things, they take their classes with the you know the, the band instructor or whatever, and and nothing against them, but they are teaching so many students with so many different instruments, they can't really get into technical things, and right. a lot of these students are hunger, you know, I mean they're just they just want to eat this stuff up, but they they can't get that instruction from the teacher. Right, because of time limits and everything else. But this would be fantastic. They, they'd be ahead of the instructor on a lot of things if they had this book. Well, thank, thanks for that. I, I, I hope so. I, we worked very hard on it. I mean, our a lot of the credit goes to our designer Jackie Jordan, also who you know really helped make the graphics work because that was very that was a demanding bit of work and on a very tight deadline. So. You know, you were talking about challenging projects. That was yeah, the sure. film score was a lot easier than, than that book. That book was, um, you know, I was I had they had about another day and a half of because I wrote it and edited it, so it was like a bad position to be in because I was going back and making the kinds of changes that writers want to make. Mm-hmm. Once the editor gets their book, where editors say no, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't. There was no one to say no to me, so. We made it really what we wanted it to be, but it was, you know, it, it was a lot of work for, yeah. a lot of, for a lot of people. You don't have to say no to anybody except that little voice in the back of your head telling yeah, you. Yeah, that voice is, yeah, <laughs> I, that's not a good voice. <laughs> that voice, that voice uh, doesn't have uh, a good, uh, you know, off switch. Yeah. So. Now, your other books, The Home Studio Clinic and The Desktop Studio, those are great books, too. I was looking uh, at those, too, and they're very handy reference books to have. Thanks. Um, they, I, I'm proud of both of those books. I was especially proud that the Desktop Studio, uh, you know, because it's a software-oriented book, sold well for a few years, and we did a revised version because I was a little worried that it would be obsolete like the minute I finished. Right, yeah, the way but, things change. Yeah, yeah. And, and Home Studio Clinic covers a few of the same topics but is really more musician centered so desktop studio is you want to do a computer studio and here's an overview of it the home studio clinic is more like what kind of musician are you what are your goals and what are some of the tools you can use to record music so it kind of comes back to that question you asked me earlier about working with um, technology and how that affects your my composing in a way it was kind of inspired by that whole thing like realizing i could do sometimes the right way to do a film score was to sit with one mic and a guitar and watch the movie and just improvise as opposed to pull out a a, you know orchestral samples or use all of these libraries that i have at my disposal that sometimes i spend you know you waste time kind of trying to find you can do it yourself faster right (laughs) yeah or or you can do something that's more natural and more emotionally connected with you know because you're in your musical brain and then you can always add that stuff later right you know but it's it's interesting to see how far a simple uh part can work especially with picture you you know it's it's a little surprising to see how you know a solo guitar or a guitar with a pad or a flute on its own can work without a lot of stuff underneath it and then when it feels empty and the emptiness is a feeling you don't want then you can always add stuff to it but it's it, it's a pretty interesting exercise actually 
you know, the, people should definitely get those books if they're a musician, oh, yeah. and you know th- those are valuable things to have for sure. Well, thanks, and you know, and people if they're interested in Intune, uh, our website is intunemonthly.com, and you can download a sample issue. We don't we put separate content online than we put in the magazine because we are um, our magazine goes to classrooms, so we need to keep that kind of in its realm. But uh, it's a very good site, and I'm, I'm really proud to be on the project. And it's it's had a really good impact on my art as well as my uh, journalism. Yeah. Well, we'll be sure to put a link on our site so people can just click on it and go right to to uh, intunemonthly.com, so they'll uh, be able to check it out. Cool. Just a f- couple more questions here. Okay. Advice for young composers. What would you give them? Well, my advice is to uh, do two things. And one is, it's like that old thing, well, kid, you know, don't do what I did. I, I would say get get as much formal training. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if it's as much formal training as you can, but get some formal training because it does help. Mm-hmm. And that's one area where I feel like, you know, I'm kind of going by my instincts more. Um, but two is because there's so many tools today for kids to make videos and do music on their computers, there's no substitute for practice. So right. find some film, something your friends did, something online, anything, and sit with the computer. And you can do this in GarageBand. You can do it in any number of programs. And you can even do it in something like iMovie. And just try playing along with the film and record what you did and then watch the film try different styles of music and see how your perception of what you see changes for what you sound right what yeah. the sound is because that's the entire key to film scoring whether it's from john williams to um you know something like this score for the um, incident in new baghdad it's just how does it affect the film and sometimes you want to create something that supports the action on screen so that you're un- like underlining the main emotion. Sometimes you want to do something that contrasts it. Sometimes you want to do something that does neither. It kind of just gives a little sense of time or place or a little more tension or softens the tension. And, you know, the, the different range of things you can do with your music to enhance a picture will really, I think, change the way you think about the music. And so for me, I think that's more important than, or I don't want to say more important, it's as important as understanding musical styles or compositional styles or instrumentation or orchestration. Because that stuff, you know, you can learn, um, but the the emotional part of it, I think you need to experience. Well, like you say, music is such an integral part of a movie. You take out the music and it's totally different. You know, what would Jaws be without the music lead up into that or Indiana Jones or any of those films, you know? I mean, right. it, it really makes or breaks a film, I think. Yeah, well, and it, but it's also interesting because when you're, when you're working on something, and it's a little different with a documentary than a drama, but right. it's not all that different always. It's... You know, Jaws works really well because that music adds more menace and more tension to this mm-hmm. scene. 
but sometimes, and I'm, I, I can't think of an example, but I'm sure you can think of somewhere you feel like, you know, the dun 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 music just makes something that could be dramatic mm-hmm. cheesy because you're saying, you know, it's like right. it, it's almost like somebody uses too much exclamation points when they're writing, you know. So it's it's knowing when to use what is the key. Yeah. And sometimes sometimes something kind of innocuous works better than something really dramatic or catchy you know or noteworthy like that mm-hmm. composing music writing and being a musician playing and writing your own albums which one is your what's your, my favorite thing what's your favorite one <laughs> well i actually honestly as i've gotten further in my life i used to really put everything in its own container like i was in this kind of a band and i played this kind of guitar you know, like I was in a pop band, but I played blues guitar, and I did film scores, and I was writing for magazines, and I saw them all as separate, and it was very, I always felt like very um, scattered, mm-hmm. and also it made me kind of feel like I was, I didn't have my head together. And then I realized that they really all go together. So if the project is good, you know, whether it's, uh, the stuff I'm working on now is like a kind of a blues rock thing, and it's really exciting to me. But Overtones is sort of the opposite of that. And Overtones is influenced by some working on a film score where I really did some very minimalist guitar work and really liked it and thought it went over well. And I wanted to stay in that mode and see how little I could, you know, it's not that there's little on there, but how I could avoid layering guitars and doing all that kind of fun stuff mm-hmm. and how I would like it. So. They all feed each other. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Now, growing up, was there any certain artists or bands that you wanted to be? Yeah. Um, I mean, I loved David Bowie. Mm-hmm. I loved The Clash. I loved stuff like Hendrix, Clapton, Cream, Jeff Beck. I mean, I think every guitarist my age listened to that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved um, some little bit less known people like Tom Verlaine on the guitar and I then I started to get into jazz and you know mostly Miles Davis and John Coltrane and Charles Mingus whose composition really spoke to me the most of all the jazz composers because he really knew how to compose music that was really complex and yet you could listen to it and it had the kind of the energy of the blues yeah so and I always liked blues music and I always played it so that's that's the short answer. I mean, we could be here now. You know? <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> but those are those are the ones that really stood out for me. Yeah. Final two questions, and it takes us away from everything. Your Oscar okay. and, and everything. This is more, uh, when you just sit back and relax, do you have a favorite TV show or TV show from the past that you like to watch? That's an interesting question. Um, there's a lot of them. I mean, I like, uh, I like a lot of British TV shows because... Um, mm-hmm. My mom is from Ireland, so, I mean, I grew up in this household that was sort of half American. I was the American half of that, yeah. third of the household. But um, So I love stuff like Blackadder and yeah. Monty Python. But um, you know what show I really love that I'll watch, like, is the uh, on and off whenever I can get to it, is the Rockford Files. Oh, I love yes. that, and I love the original Star Trek. Yeah. But the Rockford Files was great. It had great music in it. And that was actually one of the things that I liked about it when I was a little kid before I played. I just thought the music was really cool. That was Mike Post, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. what about movies? What's your favorite uh, movies? Well, movies is that's that's a tougher question, man, because we could have a talk about it for a long time. <laughs> I I really like Scorsese's sort of mid seventies to early eighties stuff, mm-hmm. like um, Taxi Driver, which has an incredible score, mm-hmm. by the way, and um, Raging Bull and King of Comedy, which I think is really underrated. It's a great movie. Yeah. And then, um, you know, Woody Allen's stuff from that same period. And I like, um, i tell you, the m- recent movie, not that recent, but um, of, of the recent movies that I've seen, the one that really stands out to me is a movie called uh, The Lives of Others, which is a German film, or it's in German, I think it's the guy was uh, like a, either American or Canadian ger- and German guy, and it's about a uh, Stasi, um, Stasi officer at the end of the Cold War, it's like in the 80s, mm-hmm. and he's, uh, I don't know, have you seen it? No, I haven't seen that one. It's a great movie, and he's, basically he's spying on this playwright because his boss wants the playwright's actress girlfriend and but it's it's complex it's emotionally complex and you know as a as a writer that's that really intrigues me the most so that's those are just a few yeah well i'm sure our listeners will will check that out because i get a lot of emails later on uh people telling me oh i checked out that movie that that so-and-so said and you know a lot of times we'll get the the gone with the winds and you know the 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 typical ones that you'd expect but when it's something that they haven't seen it's surprising how many people will email and say you know hey we checked that out it's a pretty good movie you know yeah well you know and from a, a music standpoint um there's a couple of couple of things like uh the um the heat of the night which Quincy Jones scored. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember seeing that when I was in college and thinking, I could do music like that, you know, because I hadn't really thought about film music. And the same thing with, believe it or not, The Princess Bride, which has Mark Knopfler scored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's like the first time I really thought about a score being using, you know, instruments that I played in a way I played them. So those two were really good. And they're, they're great movies. I mean, completely different kinds of movies. Yeah. Um, and then I thought Apocalypse Now. I, I just saw it again. Actually, the score is not that great, but the uh, incidental music use in it is just phenomenal. You know, mm-hmm. the satisfaction on the boat is just incredible. So all that stuff is great. Yeah. yeah. Well, Emil, I want to thank you so much for taking the time, and I, I want to wish you luck with your book, uh, your sound on stage, and your Oscar nomination for the film. And right. Uh, well, it's. You know, it's Jim that's nominated. Right, I just yes. To be clear. Yeah. But, yeah. but you're involved. Music oh, yeah. is, no, music I'm, is I'm a big part. I'm very proud of it. Yeah, <laughs> I just, but, you know, I just want to make sure. Right. Oh, yeah, correct. yeah, yeah. So uh, we want to thank you okay. so much. Well, thanks very much for having me on, and I'm really excited to hear the podcast, and congratulations on your show. Emil Menashe, another great guest on On Screen and Beyond. I want to thank him so much for taking the time to talk to us and uh, wish him luck with, uh, of course, the Oscar nomination for the film that he wrote the music for, 
Incident in New Baghdad, documentary short. So we'll find out what happens to that on Oscar night. And let's see here. Uh, also, if you get a chance, uh, check out his books, because if you are interested in music, you really want to check these out. Uh, one of them, his latest, is Your Sound on Stage tells you everything on how to set up your music and everything and get the right sound on stage. You can also check out his book, uh, home Studio Clinic, and also the Desktop Studio. Now, of course, on our site, we have a link, and you can just click on that. That'll get you to a place where you can buy them, and then, you know, it'll get those. And um, also check out Book Nook uh, on onscreenandbeyond.com, and just go to onscreenandbeyond.com and click on the OSB Book Nook, and we've got a lot of great books there that you can check out, and um, emails are right there, and you can get them, and we get the link to get you there. So... That is about it. Uh, if you're out on Facebook, uh, please go to there and like us. If you're on iTunes, leave us a review. If you um, want to send us an email and just chat, whatever, send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and uh, we'll see what we can do about uh, getting any suggestions that you might have, too, if you want to suggest somebody that you want to hear on On Screen and Beyond. Next week, let's see here. Where's my paperwork? Next week, uh, who do we have coming your way? Oh, yeah, we got a good one. <laughs> All right. Next week, normally I don't tell you who's going to be coming up because we don't know if we're going to have a last-minute change or anything like that. But uh, this is definite. We're going to have a guest coming your way who was the girl in the film, the classic film, The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Julie Adams is going to be joining us. And Julie, of course, uh, that's what a lot of people remember for the, the girl in The Creature from the Black Lagoon. But she has done so many more films. She's worked with so many people. Jimmy Stewart and uh, John Wayne and uh, TV shows she's been on. And she's, she's still doing things. So uh, it's going to be a fascinating episode of On Screen to Be On. I hope you're going to be joining us for that. And uh, she's got a great new book out that's going to be coming out. We'll talk about that next week. But we hope you're going to join us because it's from the Creature from the Black Lagoon next week right here on On Screen and Beyond. So until then, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. (laughs) 